God is good. Hey, I want to tell you something again before I jump in the message. Um, when Jake and I were down in Florida for the Exponential Conference, which is a church planting conference, had a chance to meet a guy that I had met two years ago who connected me with another guy who's planting a church in Detroit, uh, a church called Seed Church that they're going to launch this September. Uh, a few weeks ago, Jake and I had a chance to have lunch with David Clark, who is the church planter for that church in Detroit. And, um, and we were just real impressed with what they're doing, uh, with their plans, with how God is going to use them. And again, because of your generosity, because you give, we were able to help encourage them um, financially with that church plant that's going to start this September. Seed Church, if God brings it to your mind, be praying for him. Dave Clark is this guy right here in the center. And uh, I think God's going to do some neat stuff there. And I just wanted to let you know that. Um, the kingdom is big, and that's cool. Um, Okay, now we're in the message, all right? Glad you're with us online. Here's the question for you. We're gonna revert back to high school math class. All right, somebody before the service said, I said that and they said, who cares, right? Uh, um, high school math class, how do you determine the surface area of a circle? Do you remember? Pi r squared, right? Pi, does anybody remember what pi is? Oh, you're good. 3.14159265. It keeps, I can only go six digits. But remember, if, if you're going to measure the, the area in a six-foot circle, you take the radius, so that's half the diameter, three feet, multiply that times pi, 3.14159265. And you get the surface area. So in a six-foot circle, you've got 28-plus square feet of carpet right here around me. What's that got to do with the message? Not really much of anything, um, actually. Uh, when you think about the radius of your life, who you encounter, the people who are there, that God would lead you to have a relationship with, who may be saying, who cares about me? Um, what I want to do is share with you a, just a concept, an idea that's kind of related to the pi r squared thing, because it's pi squared, all right, pi squared, and it's the challenge for us for how we live out this commitment to caring for people who are far from Jesus, who, who maybe have been away from Jesus for a long time, helping them find their way back to God. What's pi squared stand for? Prayer, pray, invest, invite. Pray, invest, invite. Say that with me. Pray, invest, invite. Uh, two weeks ago, we encouraged you to make a list of the people who are in your life. Neighbors, family members, people at work, people that you see on a regular basis at the soccer field, on football, in the football stands, whatever it is, and make that list of people that you can pray for. And, that, and I encourage you to set some reminders for that, right? Hopefully some of you have some reminders on your phone. You have an object at work Maybe something in your, uh, on your bathroom mirror, a note that you put there, to remind you to pray for those people who are far from God. Um, last week in Chris's mes message, we talked about Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus, and Jesus saying to Zacchaeus, I must come to your house for dinner tonight. There was clarity, there was purpose. Jesus was intent on connecting with Lazarus because he knew eternity was at stake with him. There's clarity, urgency. Um, 
I, I hope that you've been praying. That's the first part. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that today, but I don't want to miss that because that really is the key. That's the foundation for everything. We were talking in a life group this week and, um, and uh, just talking about this Who Cares series and what it looks like. And one of the people in our life group said, hey, I just got to tell you, it works. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, it works. I was having this conversation with somebody at work and they work for the state of Michigan. Um, and, and, and they said, they said this person just began to share stuff that was going on that they were struggling with. And the person in our life group said, can I pray for you? And they said, yeah. Can I pray for you right now? Yeah. And they prayed together. God works through that. Pray, don't, don't um, miss the opportunity to pray. Pray, invest, and invite. How do, how do you determine who to invest in? You've got that list of people that's kind of in your mind. There's even a broader circle of, of people who are in your life. And, you, and as you pray, uh, there's, there is this question, God, who do I reach out to? My, my list is long. You know, There's a lot of people on my list. Who do I invest in? Here's, here's, here's the first half of the message. We're gonna work it out for, for, a little, for the next few minutes. Look for somebody who responds to your investment for what the scripture calls a person of peace. Have, have you ever heard that expre expression before? Look for a person of peace. It's, it's a, a, a phrase that I really hadn't heard until probably the last five or six years, but it's often used by missionaries it's often used by churches that would describe their, their, uh, their ministry style as missional. And it comes from, from Matthew chapter 10 and Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bibles, take them out. Look in Luke chapter 10. We're going to read down through the first 12 verses to discover what this person of peace concept is really all about. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. So Jesus is doing the legwork ahead of time through these 72 people. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The list is long of people that God wants to have a relationship with, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. Does that feel like your life sometimes? Lambs among wolves. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals. Don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Don't move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But if you enter a town and aren't welcome to go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town, we're gonna wipe from our feet as a warning to you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Jesus, in his interaction with these 72 guys who are going out on this first kind of missionary journey, Jesus says, how do you, how do you find who you're supposed to connect with, who you're supposed to stay with in their home? Look for a person of peace. Look for somebody that you reach out to in kindness, that you invest in, and they respond back to that. They accept that. You connect with them. 
because God's been doing the work ahead of time to prepare you for that interaction. Pray, invest. That's that person of peace concept. Who do you invest in? A person of peace. How do you do that? Invest first by listening. Chris last week in his his, uh, message talked about the importance of noticing people, just noticing people and then listening to them, asking questions. Um, What kind of questions do you ask? Um, This this is not um, a how-to in in terms of how to be a conversationalist. It really is kind of a, how do you build a relationship with someone? How do you know that they're responsive, maybe that they have this desire to get to know God better? Let me, let me give you four kinds of questions that, that you can ask. Um, you, maybe you can write these in the notes, uh, write them down, whatever. Ask people to, to uh, ask questions about somebody's history, about where they're from and what their family is like. Ask questions about, you know, have you always lived here? Or in the case of somebody like me, why have you moved so much? Why have you not lived in one place for all your life? Ask questions about their history. Not, not as a tool, but to just get to know them and to know their story. Ask questions that, ask, that allow you to hear their heart. What is it that they're passionate about? Is it a favorite team? Just saying. Is it an activity? Is it a, a, a place that they go to? You know, their, their, their place up north or whatever that, um, that might be. Ask questions that discover, that help you determine what they do with their life, what their habits are, how they spend their time. What is it that their life is kind of consumed with? And ask, to, ask questions that allow you to hear their hurts. How are they doing with that diagnosis? How are they working through the loss of that person in their family? How, how are they doing with losing their job? with their kids that have grown up, that have moved away. Questions about their history, about their heart, about their habits, about their hurts. Let me just say this. Most people can spot a salesman a mile away, right? When you walk on a car lot, has anybody else had this experience? You walk on a car lot because you want to buy a car and you see a guy coming up with blue hair um, and you think, oh no, Lord, please, not that guy. Uh, most of us can spot a salesman, somebody who's gonna give a line a mile away. People know when they're being manipulated, when they're, when they're being channeled and used. But when somebody asks questions about what's really going on inside them, that's something completely different. When we're able to ask questions and to listen to someone's um, genuine story, when we genuinely express that we care about who they are as a person, that's a completely different kind of a thing. A person who's not heard will feel like they're not known. And if a person doesn't feel like they're known, they will never feel loved or valued. Let me say that again. If a person isn't heard, they will never feel like they're known. And if they're not known, they will never feel like they're loved and valued. I I remember when we lived in Virginia, there was a particular couple at the church, um, a couple named Scott and Karen. 
that um, they came to church. I talked to them every Sunday. They were, they were great people. Um, and I, I went out for lunch one day with Scott after they'd been coming to church for a long time, a year, a year and a half, something like that. And, and I said, Scott, how are you doing? And he, and he began to open up and share about stuff. And in the midst of that conversation, he said, he said Rick, you know why we come to, to church where we do, why, why we're at the same church? I said, why is that? And he said, Scott, Scott said, Rick, because we know every Sunday that you're going to look us in the eye and say, Scott, Karen, how are you guys doing? He said, we intentionally come to church and make sure that we walk by you so that you will call us by name because we feel like we're noticed and cared about and valued. I didn't know that, but I think that's all of our story. And if you're here today and you feel like, man, nobody, nobody knows me, um, start to take some steps. But for all of us, begin to take that step with the people who are around us. Ask them questions. Listening, listening is hard, isn't it? It's, uh, Chris, Chris talked about this last week. When we ask a question, it's hard to not be thinking about what we're going to say next. I want to try an experiment and just show you something right now. Um, I wanna take 15 seconds, all right? And I want you to just listen, okay? Go. Okay, if you're watching online, we didn't have a breakdown in technology, okay? But um, give me some feedback. What did you hear in the silence? Air conditioning, good. Whispers, good. Somebody over here. Turning of pages. Anything else? Did you, anybody hear someone beside them breathing? <laughs> Anybody hear someone beside them snoring? <laughs> no, no. Here's the deal. All of those sounds were going on while I was talking before, right? We just were not paying attention to them. Listening is a skill that we've got to develop to really hear what, what people's story is, to really hear what's going on in their life. It takes concentration, but we need to zero in and do that. Everyone has a story, but not very many people have people in their life who will hear their story, who will listen to their story, who will allow them to talk about what's going on inside them and, and respond with compassion and care and not answers. We need to invest in people by listening, by really listening to them. Because when we do so, we communicate how much value they have. We need to invest by eating with people as well. Invest by eating. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Um, one of the measurements uh, of our relationship with Jesus is how your, how your life compares to the list of qualifications that we find in the New Testament for spiritual leaders that's found in 1 Timothy 3 and, and Titus 1, that those list of qualifications that are, theirs, that are there for the elders of the church, for the people who will lead the church, 
people who have spiritual responsibility. It's interesting to me that when you look at those lists in 1 Peter 3 and Titus 1, one of the qualities that's listed in both places is hospitality. Hospitality, that's important for a spiritual leader. Why is that? Because I think that God knows that when we meet people in a hospitable kind of situation, when we eat with them, the conversation, the quality of the conversation changes. Um, conversation is different when you're eating than when you're sitting across the desks from someone in your office. The conversation is different when you're eating than when you're texting or talking on the telephone, right? The conversation is different when you're eating even than when you're sitting in the living room of someone's house. Um, this, this past week, Deb and I made a trip up to Higgins Lake because we have two families that are connected to North Point that have moved up there and are struggling to find a church that, will, that, that has great worship, that has good, solid teaching, and that has children's ministry that allows their kids to grow in a cool way. We, dr we drove up to Higgins Lake, really, really fun time. I'd never been there before. Go to the house of, of the one couple, and we talked for probably 20 minutes, 25 minutes, 30 minutes, something like that, just, just kind of getting to know each other better because they were people who were from North Point, but not people who I had spent a ton of time with. So we're talking, and it's good. The, the, the conversation's good, but as soon as we began to eat the food and sit at the table, all of a sudden, the quality of the conversation became much more animated, much more intense in a, in a really positive way as we began to talk about what God might be doing in them and the, and the possibility even of a new church up there in that area or, or a, new, a new expression of the body that might allow them to continue to grow in their walk with Jesus. Um, Meals make difference. Make a difference. They allow us to have conversations in a way that we can't have otherwise. You may not be ready today to have a dinner party at your house, you know, with the with the eight course meal and all of the stuff associated with that. But if God is leading you to take that step, if you like to do that, man, do that and invite some folks. Here are some uh, what I think are easier next steps for you. Just have some friends over for pizza and a game night. The pizza will make it easier to have different kinds of conversation, something simple. Um, maybe, maybe it's as simple as, as sharing dessert with your neighbors, with some people in your neighborhood, just sitting out on the porch. You don't even have to necessarily even let them in your house, but to just have some cake, ice cream, brownies, whatever it is, pie, 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 um, uh, and, and just invite them to share that with you. Did I say pie? Um, uh, <laughs> That's a great way to start a conversation. Maybe we're heading into summer. Maybe it's to have a cookout and to cook burgers and, and have chips, baked beans, something simple, and just say, hey, you guys want to come over? We're cooking out burgers. We're, you know, we're, we're barbecuing chicken, whatever it is, and invite them into that kind of a relationship. Maybe it's a bigger step. Maybe you want to invite lots of neighbors and have a block party. And just figure out what it looks like to create food for people to come together and connect with each other in a different kind of, of a way. Maybe, maybe it's to invite some old friends or some new friends to go to a park and have a picnic together. 
That's easy. It's not threatening, right? It's not, it's, you're not necessarily letting people in your home. But to, but to go to Sleepy Hollow or to go to Lake Lansing or someplace like that, another park, and just be together as a family and pull out your PB&J. They pull out their food and just eat together in that way. Um, maybe, maybe it's, it's um, going out to eat at a restaurant. One of the couples at, at Higgins Lake is a couple that we met because they were here on a Sunday. It was, it was, they were new. And on Sunday morning, Deb and I said, hey, you wanna, go to, you wanna go to a restaurant with us after church? And that started a relationship that God is still using. Things change when we eat. Um, maybe it's starting now to think about how you can invite people in with food over the holidays that happen during the summer. Memorial Day, maybe, maybe you got plans on, on Memorial Day itself, but on Sunday or Saturday that weekend, um, 4th of July, Labor Day, um, Thanksgiving, Christmas, figuring out how you can invite people into a meal scenario at that time. Um, my kids, one of my kids' favorite memories is when we lived in outside DC, we lived 500 miles from our families and we just determined, rather than sit and pout at home on, uh, on the holidays, particularly on Easter and Thanksgiving, um, we were gonna invite all the people who didn't have other people that they were connected to to come to our house to celebrate Easter or Thanksgiving. Was it inconvenient to have 25 or 30 or 40 people in our home on those days? Yeah, maybe. But it was incredible the friendships that were built as we ate together. Because we'd eat lunch together, get up and talk, and then we'd eat dessert together, and then we'd go out and either have an epic egg hunt or football game with everybody who was there, and then come back in and eat the leftovers several hours later. We never knew when people were gonna leave, but the food allowed us to have a level of conversation and to get into each other's lives in, in an incredible way. Invest in eating um, and, and, and invest in serving as well. Um, I, I just wanna encourage you, if you wanna build relationships with people, begin to serve them and ask them to serve you as well. Um, it's a powerful thing to ask a neighbor, hey, I, this seems so small, but it's significant. Hey, would you take my trash can up um, because we're heading out on vacation. Would you take the trash can down? Hey, could you help me as I'm planting some seed? Could you help me move this piece of equipment? Um, Jesus, Jesus served people and it built relationships with people in powerful ways. Jesus said, if you wanna be great, you've gotta be what? Servant of all. If you wanna be great, you've gotta be servant of all. Jesus is the one who washed his disciples' feet. Uh, an action... That, that was probably more humiliating than humbling, Jesus served. Jesus is the one who touched people with leprosy. Jesus is the one who spit in the dirt and rubbed, it, rubbed that nasty mud on that guy's eyes so that he would be healed. If you want your friend or family member, somebody that you care about, maybe somebody from work, to come to know Jesus, to know forgiveness and hope and peace, You've got to serve them. You've got to serve them and allow them to serve you as well. Um, what happens when somebody serves you 
At worst, they make certain that you know that you owe them, right? That, the, the worst thing is they'll say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna get you back at some point and I'm gonna ask you to help me out as well, which is okay because you wanna help them. You want to deepen that friendship. But what's the best thing that, men, that can happen? They will see you as their equal. They will see you on the same level. By serving you, you're a real person who doesn't have it all together, who needs other people. How do you know who a person of peace is? It's somebody who responds to your listening, to your eating, to your serving. That's what we're called to do. Pray, invest, and invite. Let's talk about invitation for just a, a little bit. The first invitation that we give to anyone is to just simply be a part of your life. That's what that investment piece is. It's to just simply be a part of your life. Maybe it's an invitation to watch a game together. Maybe it's an invitation to go to a park together. Maybe it's an invitation to a concert. Maybe it's an inv invitation to play games. Maybe it's an invitation to watch your kids go play soccer. An invitation to run or to walk or to bike together. An invitation to eat or serve. When people see Jesus... When we see Jesus working in our life, an invitation is the most natural thing in the world. Why is it that grandparents show picture after picture of their kids, of their grandkids? Why is it that a kid will show everyone they can and a report card with straight A's or their acceptance letter to a college or tickets to a concert that they just attended? Why is it that when you're sitting in a lake and the sun begins to go down that you immediately run inside the cottage and say, you've got to come see the pinks and the yellows and the sunset. It's gorgeous. Why is it that when you're working on a difficult project at work and you finally figure out the solution that you go into your boss's office and say, come and see what I did. Come and see what I did. Why is it because there is some news, something beautiful, some newly discovered truth that you just can't keep to yourself. It's too good not to share. That's a normal part of our lives. We've been asking this question, who cares, the last few weeks, as a kind of a reality check for us. Do we really care whether people experience the hope and peace and joy that can only come from knowing Jesus? Do we really care that people will face eternity without the hope of Jesus, separated from him, separated from God, separated from a God who loves them more than they love themselves? And we've been asking that question as a reminder of the people who are in the world who are asking that same question. Who cares? Who cares if I live or die? Who cares about what happens to me? Who cares about my family? Does, does anything really matter? Who cares? I want us to, to read a, a, another section of scripture together, and I want you to pay a special attention to the number of times where Jesus either sees someone or other people see Jesus, and then look at what the response is. Um, I'm in John chapter one, and again, this is, a, this is a more lengthy passage of scripture, but pay attention, and, I, and I'll try and do it with my voice as well. The next day, John, and this is John the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. 
Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we've found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at, Jesus looked at him and said, you're Simon, son of John, you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter, rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we found the, the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked, come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. When Andrew met Jesus, he couldn't help but bring his brother to Jesus. When Philip encountered Jesus, he had to invite Nathaniel and say, come and see. A, a little later in, in John's biography of Jesus' life, in chapter four, Jesus talks uh, with a woman from Samaria at a well in the middle of, of this town in the middle of Samaria. Jesus breaks all of the normal social rules and tells her that she can find living water in him. He even says very openly to her, I'm the Messiah. She says, you know, there's a Messiah coming and Jesus says, I am he. She's captivated by her conversation with Jesus. She's convicted of the lifestyle that she's lived. And she's drawn to the truth and the power of Jesus. John describes the end of that encounter this way. Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. When you see Jesus, an invitation is the most natural thing in the world. For the Samaritan woman, for Philip, for Andrew, for the disciples that had seen Jesus after his death and resurrection, the most natural thing in the world was to invite people into an encounter with Jesus. Come and see what Jesus can do. Come and see, come and see. Come and see how Jesus can change your workplace. Come and see how Jesus can change your marriage. Come and see uh, how Jesus can give your life meaning. Come and see how Jesus can change uh, prejudice and injustice. 
Come and see how Jesus can give you a heart of compassion instead of a heart of cynicism. Come and see how Jesus can give you, give you courage instead of fear. If you've been around North Point for, for very long, you've heard us talk about our vision. Our, our mission is that all people, all people uh, would, uh, somebody help me. That every, uh, I'm gonna stick with the vision right now because my brain's, in, my brain's there. The vision is this, that everybody who calls North Point home would see Jesus working in their life and share that with the people that, that, they're, that are a part of their sphere of influence. Everybody who calls North Point home would see Jesus working in their life. When we see Jesus working in our lives, the most natural thing in the world is to give an invitation. When others see Jesus working in our lives, the most natural thing in the world is for them to ask questions. Make no mistake about this. The invitation that we give is to see Jesus. It's not to come to North Point, although you might do that. It's not to come to North Point. It's not to watch a preacher on TV. The invitation is to see Jesus. Um, you know, it's, if you've been around church for a long time, we tend to think, oh, I, I guess I'm just supposed to invite people to church. Uh, here, here's a picture for you. To, in, to think when somebody is interested in Jesus that you want to just invite them to church and that that's where you're going to start that's where it's going to stop it's almost like when you're engaged and you see a friend that you haven't connected with for a long time and and you say oh let me bring my fiance to you and and you bring the fiance to him and you say look at the ring look at the ring isn't this ring beautiful it's this many carrots it's got this kind of cut this kind of setting look at the ring just, oh man, isn't that gorgeous? And you never introduce them to your fiance. Does that, do you get that picture? It's not just to church, it's to Jesus. The invitation is to Jesus. Pray, invest, invite. Who is your pie squared? Who is it that you're praying for, that you're investing in, that you wanna have that, that invitation kind of conversation with. That's the challenge for us, and that's the answer to the who cares question. Pray, invest, invite. Let's pray. God, I, I thank you right now for the people that you have brought into our lives that you're already working in them. God, people that we have maybe casual relationships with, maybe deep relationships with, that this morning as we, as we interact with your word, that they keep bubbling up to the front of our minds thinking, man, could I eat with them? Could I ask them to help me? Could I help them in some way? Could I get to know them better? Could I listen more? And God, can you, can you just help me in the midst of that? Um, maybe, maybe say, come and see. Come and see how you're working in my life. Come and see what Jesus could do in your life. God, help us. Help us not to be insulated. Help us not to be focused on ourselves. Help us to not 
let our eyes just be internally focused on brothers and sisters in Christ. God, give us a burden for people who are far from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.